Well, hello there, and welcome to Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Only it's just Debbie today. I'm Debbie Giorgiani, co-host of Take Two, and this is your show, where normally you call in. It's a live a live call-in platform for you to share your lived experiences, where we learn and grow together. But today is a special pre-recorded broadcast, so no phone calls today. We have a great guest with us, and he's going to share his real life journey, uh, life amidst the storm, suffering, surrender, and joy. And uh, we're going to dive right in, but we need you to sit back and really listen and learn. Jerry will be back on our next live broadcast, but just really, um, you know, absorb it all, folks. Just soak it in and then share this broadcast, share this episode with a friend, please, because we need to trust more. We need to trust God more than the storm we are facing, right? And we talk about it all the time on Take Two. So I'm going to go right into the interview because I think when you hear his his story, his journey, it will inspire you. It will allow you to understand things better about life in general and also about what we just said, suffering and, and surrender and joy. So Chris Faddis is our guest today on Take Two. And let me give you a little background about Chris, and then we will chat with him. Chris Faddis is a visionary author and motivational speaker, renowned for his impactful work in the realm of personal development and spiritual growth. Chris is co-founder and president of Solidarity HealthShare, a national not-for-profit ministry that provides an alternative way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing Catholic beliefs. He is also the author of it of this wonderful book, It Is Well, Life in the Storm, a story that chronicles the, the inspirational journey he shared with his late wife, Angela, as she battled colon cancer. Chris is married to Jennifer, and they have five children. Chris, thank you for being with us and Take Two. Take Two family loves you. You've been a guest uh, on previous episodes, and we're just so grateful you could make this time for us. I'm really grateful to, to talk to you again, Debbie. It's great to hear your voice. Yeah, it, this is, uh, you know, Chris, I know your story. I've I've heard it shared uh, many times. The book is amazing. The book came out about, what, 10 years ago, I believe, and it was it's it's a phenomenal book. Um, but you talk about your journey with um, Angela, her illness, her, um, you know, uh, eventually she, she did die. And you talk about, you know, now your life after Angela. So go back, if you can, Chris, for our listeners, because we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly on Take Two. That's what Take Two is all about. That's the way we roll here. We want the real raw truth. And Chris, that, that we very rarely have guests on our programs, and these special recorded new content broadcasts are meant especially for our listeners to understand things in a very deep and personal way with all the details. So no pressure, Chris, but let's go all the way back. <laughs> tell us yeah, about yeah. T- yeah, tell us about Angela, and don't, don't hold back, because we need to know everything. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, and Debbie, I, I appreciate that. I, I think... In these times, we all need these um, these reminders of what you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. But ultimately, 
the good and the bad and the ugly ultimately are all God's grace. They're all God's beauty and His glory. And sometimes when we're in the middle of it, it's really hard to remember that. So I appreciate the opportunity to to share this because I think it's so important for us, like you said, to face suffering, to accept suffering, to embrace suffering. Um, you know, even the readings, the gospel reading this Sunday was, you know, this idea of taking up our cross, right, and and um, and you know, accepting it. Uh, in such a way that that we allow God to work, and I think, you know, one of the greatest gifts um, of of my marriage to Angela for me was watching this woman become so powerful in her weakness through God's grace. You know, Angela and I were um, we were married, and on July first, two thousand six, we were madly in love. We loved each other so much. We were we were um, just it, it felt so fairy tale in a lot of ways. But we also both had our own personal sufferings, and a big part of the beauty of our relationship was that very early on, the Lord allowed us to comfort each other in those sufferings and encourage each other in those sufferings, and we got married with those things in mind. But, you know, after we got married, um, not long later, I, I, I learned more about Angela's suffering of depression, and we spent a lot of our years of marriage with her going in and out of different periods of depression. Uh, and also some some very difficult family situations that that she had in her life that I didn't fully understand until after we were married. But then it you know it kind of faced us pretty quickly after that. And um, you know we had many times in our marriage to really just rely and trust on God to get us through difficult times. At the same time, we went through some difficult financial times, um, losing a job and and being you know not living back not living at home, being kind of far away from home and having to figure out how to how to you know, for me to how to make ends meet for my my wife and our one daughter, all of these things were going on in the first first few years of our marriage. Um, but meanwhile, the Lord was proving us in our trust throughout each of those periods. God would call us deeper and deeper into relationship with Him, but also in relationship with each other. And um, you know, I remember a period of time, Debbie, when we were living in another city and and looking for work. We were going to mass twice a day just to get enough grace to get through, you know, and it was drawing us closer together, even as painful as it was. And then things started to get better. I got a job um, in, in North Carolina. We were liking where we were. We were we were happy. But her depression just continued to get deeper and deeper. And for two years, I watched Angela battle depression. Um, and, and shortly, you know, in, in 2011, right at the beginning of the year, she finally found a doctor who figured out what was wrong, and there was actually a nutritional deficiency that she had. And they immediately changed her diet, did some things with her to help her. And I saw a change in her within 24 to 72 hours. And wow. all, of, all of a sudden, we saw this depression lift, and she mm-hmm. felt like she was was young again. You know, And for us, it was like a honeymoon period because mm-hmm. we, we had faced so much trial right away in our marriage that we never really had that period. You know, And mm-hmm. um, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see her joy and, and her freedom she had she had really distanced herself from a lot of friends that we, right. when we moved away but but chris hold it right there hold it right there because you hear the music we're gonna we're gonna hit the pause button when we come back i'm, I'm gonna have you pick up because um uh, where you said she was just diagnosed properly and then now you started to see that light at the end of the tunnel that relief but then the story continues folks so you got to stay tuned in this for this wonderful pre-recorded broadcast with our amazing guest chris Fattis. we'll be right back We're so glad you tuned in to Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. 
Uh, Jerry will be back on our next live broadcast. This is a pre-recorded special episode with um, our guest, Chris Faddis, and he is telling us the uh, details of his journey with his late wife, Angela. So we hope you are really uh, listening intently. You are taking it all in because hope, um, you know, we can only pray, hopefully, and we can pray about this, that you will walk away from this broadcast a little bit changed, a little bit closer to God, more trust for God, and maybe you'll, you'll, you'll look at uh, suffering in a different way. Okay, and that's what Take Two is all about. So before we get back with our great conversation with Chris let me just share with our listeners Church Pop and the and the emails that can come into your email inbox about Church Pop. Church Pop takes a fresh and fun look at the news shaping our world, featuring engaging, inspiring, and informative Catholic social media content. Find it on Snapchat, Instagram, and the web at churchpop.com. And you can get Church Pop directly in your email inbox. That's what I do. Visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. Okay, Chris, um, we're just going to have you rewind just a little bit. And then, um, but but highlight again, you know, because I think sometimes when people struggle with depression, Chris, you may or may not know this, but uh, Jerry and I are both life coaches. We have the ministry uh, Stand Tall, which by the way, folks, you can find us at standtalltoday.com. But Chris, uh, when life coaching, you know, when when folks are dealing with depression, it is so important to find that, uh, that doctor that can uh, properly diagnose and maybe, you know, change uh, your, your eating habits, add some supplements, some medication or whatever, because you do want to have your best life. And so it sounds like Angela found that right a medical professional to help her. And now you were seeing uh, some, some bright spots. Yeah, it was really amazing. And it's certainly not to say there were certainly situations in our lives, in her life that were, were, you know, part of the symptoms of the depression, but ultimately that was, it was all tied to a nutritional deficiency. And and, you know, and the, the ability to deal with and cope with those difficult situations was affected by that. And it was leading her to these, these really difficult, dark places. And, and ultimately, once she, once she found that, that physician who had the ability to say, wait a minute, I think I'm seeing a pattern here. I'm seeing something going on. Let's try this. And right away, we saw an improvement. Uh, it was such a gift. And it was, it was a gift of God because we had been praying for you know, time and again, for for a, you know, a, a healing for her, um, because it was so difficult. You know, and at the same time, Debbie, I will say during that time of depression, the one thing I will I will say that Angela started to do is she started to say to me in her deepest parts, "I can't say the words right now, but I need you to pray with me." And we would pray the Divine Mercy Chaplain. She would say, "You say the words because I can't." And as we would pray that that prayer. And I would, we would get towards the end of the chaplet, Angela would start to pray along. And by the end, when we would pray, Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great mercy, commit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. That's when Angela would just start belting the prayer. And I knew that God had gotten through her, her through that time. And so this was just an answer to prayer, that we found this, this, this nutritional deficiency. She was better. We had this three months of grace. And then at the very end of that, at the end of that three months, it was right towards Easter of that year, 2011, Angela um, started to have severe digestive issues. And long story short, just to kind of get to the next part of the story, Debbie, that Easter Sunday, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. 
And we had experienced this incredible grace for this three months. And I think in a way, the Lord was giving us that little bit of, of grace to prepare us for this next phase. Also knowing that Angela needed to be healed from that depression in order for her to have, have the strength and the courage she needed to face a stage four cancer diagnosis, uh, which came on Easter Sunday of 2011. Chris, let me ask you a question. I, I could hear how you got emotional when you even, you know, just shared that again. And it's been, you know, over 10 years. Let me ask you this question. Um, how does a healthy young, I mean, she was young and healthy and you, you had, you had your kids. I mean, how do you, how do you get to stage four? That is, that's pretty extreme. Were you like thinking, Hey, we need to do another test or something. Something's wrong here. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, you know, they, it was pretty, pretty obvious from the imaging, but we, we were admitted right away to the hospital. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was very surprising, especially because she was a, a healthy woman. She was, she was mm-hmm. you know, eating healthy. She cared about organic food. She didn't drink soda. She didn't eat fast food very often, right? She, she really had a healthy lifestyle even before we met. In fact, when we were dating, my friends made fun of me because all of a sudden I became healthy Chris, right? Because, you, you know, when you're, right. when you're falling right. in love, the man often makes life changes for the woman, right? And, and um, you know, it was very surprising that, that this would happen. And, it, you know, when you think about now, I think, you know, especially working in the medical world now, we're seeing more and more of young people get colon cancer. And at the time, they said, oh, this is so rare. But the thing is, colon cancer is slow moving. She'll fight it off. She'll be fine. She'll get, you know, she'll, she'll be fine. We're seeing now that there is an aggressive form of colon cancer that, that's hitting younger adults. And so, you know, more and more people are facing this diagnosis. But it was honestly surprising even to the doctors. Many of the doctors we worked with had never seen someone this young with colon cancer. Um, and, and especially this far advanced. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just Debbie and her colon. It was a full blockage of her colon. Um, she had to have, uh, she, had, she had lesions all over her liver, and they thought there might be lesions in other places, but it was so advanced it wasn't worth biopsying every, every area, right? So, so that was, uh, it was a big shock for sure. So when, when you receive this diagnosis and then, and then what can you share with us if it's, if it's not too personal, I know, um, a lot of the, a lot of this, the details of this is in the book, but can you share with us, what was your first conversation with her? What was it like when that all, when you saw the images? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That first conversation, you know, we had been, we had been being told by the doctors, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. They'd actually sent me in the kid's home at one point. And then I got called back, and I didn't even realize when I got called back that there was a reason. You know, we walked in, and and, and honestly, in a shaky voice, this this young resident said, um, "You know, it's colon cancer," and, and you know, and essentially, he was. They were saying it's really late, you know, and and um, as and you know, B. Debbie, and, and and I've been on your show before, so your listeners know I'm not short for words, right? Normally, I'm I'm able to come up with something to say, and I had nothing. I, I couldn't. And Angela just looked at me from that bed. And with a look of both a smile and sad eyes, she said, it was Easter Sunday, so it's a reminder that this was Easter Sunday. She said, Jesus still rose, so we will trust. We're going to trust. He still rose. And that was, those, those words were the marching orders for me. But this is how we're going to face this news. We're going to trust him. And I think all of those divine mercy chaplets, all of those times of, her praying when she couldn't feel like praying or when she asked me to say the words for her. All of those came to this point where she was able to have this moment of absolute sheer trust in God 
Jesus still rose. Wow. Wow. I don't know if you heard that bell sound, but my computer, there there was a bell that went off as soon as you just uh, shared, Jesus still rose, so we will trust Angela's words. I don't know if you heard it, but it almost went off like it was like scripted. I, I, you know, take wow, that. I heard, for, I did hear it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So is, is that is that amazing or what? I mean, where do we where do we hear stuff like that? Or wh- how does that happen? Is it just a coincidence, or is God trying to share with us that He's pleased about this conversation? I hmm. we don't know. Well, I guess we'll never know until the other side. But but I will tell you, Chris, that that was pretty amazing. That that I could feel the Holy Spirit. So so she. Angela had the grace, the, the, the trust, the faith to say, Jesus still rose, so we will trust. So she immediately went to trust when most people would go to what? Anger, denial, you know, all the stages? Yeah, all of the things, right. How did she do it? How did she do it, Chris? Yeah, I think, again, I think it just comes back to there's, it's it's all about this this habit forming prayer, right? That even in those darkest moments, she would say to me, you know, when she was depressed, she would say, "I don't, I know God loves me. I know that He loves me. I I believe it. I trust it because I know I that's what I, I know to be true. I've been taught. I've I've learned this, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it inside. I feel empty inside. And so in those moments when she had the depression, she would feel that way. She would pray through it, right? And either asking me to pray or forcing herself to pray. And I think that that habit, that habitual prayer, that, that praying through suffering, that, that praying in the storm, trusting God in the storm, it, then it, it just, it, it welled up in her soul, you know? And, and that was one of the reasons why I named the book It Is Well, is, is after the song, the, the hymn, um, It Is Well, which is, um, you know, the idea that, that whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul, that's a welling up within. That's not an act of the will. That's, a, that's an ability from within because you know the Lord, because you've, you've regularly trusted the Lord even when it was hard. Um, and that's, that's how, that's the only how I can understand, was that the Lord prepared her for this through her acts of faith all the years before. In life coaching, Chris, we talk about, um, you know how you hear the, the saying, um, practice makes perfect, right? Well, in life coaching, we, we say practice makes permanent. And, in, you know, this, that the habits we have um, in building up that trust and confidence with God, you said you went multiple times a day to church and you were praying a lot with Angela and, and all this grace was building up. Right. And so the practice that you were constantly in that habit of connecting with God, which what, what, um, blessed Carlo Acutis talks about a lot, this connection with God, you know, the Eucharist is, it was his highway to heaven. He was in constant connection that helped because when she was faced with this, you know, I mean, you talk about a very extreme, you know, diagnosis. I mean, there's not much left at that point. Like, which way do you go when you have stage four colon cancer? I mean, there's not, there's, you know, there's not many options on the table there of what to do. Um, 
wow, she had to be prepared. So I agree with you. I, I completely affirm that, that I, I've seen it in my own life. So um, in a smaller way, but I can only imagine that that, that had to have uh, tremendously helped Angela. And then of course it helped you as her spouse. How old was Angela when she was diagnosed? She was 30, um, sorry, 31. 31. 31. 31. And she, yeah, yeah. And so she, we and had two children it. at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our daughter, Gianna, was, was turning four a couple days later after her diagnosis, and, and our son, Augustine, was, was about a year and a half old. Wow. Uh, I want to talk about that as well, um, the fact that she was so young and having two children, you guys um, just starting out your family, how that, all, how that impacted the kids, how it impacted you. I mean, there had to have been a point, Chris, where you felt, you felt helpless. You know, what could you do? I mean, and you're, you're a fixer. I know. I've known you way back in the <laughs> youth ministry days. You fix everything. I mean, I mean, share a little bit about that. You know, did you go through, did you get support yourself? Did, did people of, 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 you know, who had a lot of experience in this, did they step up to help you, Chris, or were you pretty much alone kind of fighting this? Yeah, you know, I mean, in a way, we, were, we weren't alone for sure. I mean, we had people all around us. We, you know, again, we were living away from both of our families at the time, so we didn't have family around us, but, but we had a, a great community in our parish and people we had gotten to know in that, that, that diocese and that area, and, you know, they came together. And also just, you know, the Catholic community from around the country, you know, like you mentioned, being in youth ministry for so many years, you, you make friends around the country, and so there was just this, this groundswell of support. Our, our good friend Melanie Pritchard put up a, a Facebook page right away, and you know that was what you did back then to get the news out. Right, we just put up a Facebook group or a page, and and you know, and people from all over the country started coming together to pray for us. But but there was a sense of loneliness in the sense that I, you know, at the same time, I'm the only one who's going through this particular thing at this moment. You know, there were certainly people who had lost a spouse or been through this. Um, you know, in different ways, but there, there was a, at the same time, this sense of, and I, and it's probably coming from my own sense of always having, like you said, to solve problems of really having to learn to trust, you know, and having to learn to, to take other people's advice and not know the answer and, and be able to, to absorb that. But also knowing that Angela was not a conventional person. So some of the advice was very conventional and it wasn't necessarily what she wanted, right? It wasn't necessarily what she saw as what, what, what God wanted for her. And some of that even had to do with the type of treatment we would get or the type of, you know, care we would get. And we had to, you know, really, really weigh a lot of options. But there was, there were amazing people every step of the way that, that were sort of acted as whether or not um, people that informed us or taught us, but also people who really helped us to see what was possible, what was coming, you know. Um, of course, stage four, I had at the time only known one person who had stage four cancer and they died in two months. So in my mind, we had a very short amount of time, but none of the doctors would tell us how much time we had. But we also knew that we had to fight in a way. Not, and I don't even think, Debbie, you know, Angela didn't like the term fight cancer. Um, and I still to this day don't love that. I think Angela saw this as an opportunity for God's grace. I mean, early on, early on, she said, the Lord is going to use this to purify me. The Lord is going to help me become more holy through this cancer, right? She saw it as an opportunity, but we also knew we weren't going to give up on fighting against the cancer medically, right? And so we had to really do a lot of researching, phone calls and conversations, but every step of the way, the Lord provided helpers and and guides to help us through that. 
Wow, what a, what a journey. And we want to talk about um, your your children. They were so young at the time of and, the, and losing their mother. So we want to talk about that on the other side of the break. And then we want to move into, you got you got into Solidarity, Solidarity Health Share, an amazing group. We're going to talk about that. So you got to stay with us, folks, on this pre-recorded broadcast of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie with our guest, Chris Faddis. We're having an amazing discussion with Chris Faddis, our guest, for this uh, incredible pre-recorded broadcast that was put together by our producer, Ace McKay, who does just a fine job um, getting in touch with all of our, our guests and getting them lined up for the interviews. I mean, he is incredible. So thank you, Ace McKay. Jerry Usher will be back on our next live broadcast. But uh, right now, let's get back to our conversation about uh, Chris's journey with his um, beautiful wife, Angela. Um, she passed um, from colon cancer in uh, 2012. Chris wrote a book about their journey. But at the time when Angela uh, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, Chris, um, you had a, a young daughter, a young son. Did you? What did you share with them and how much of it did they grasp? Yeah, I mean, it was very hard. Obviously, my, my, our daughter being almost four at the time, it was a little easier for her. They were with me at the hospital. You know, when we first got the diagnosis, they were with nurses while we did that. But, you know, we just talked about mommy being really sick initially, and you just slowly but surely talk about what it means, you know. And really, it, it, it comes to a head as you get closer. I mean, Angela ended up living 17 months after her diagnosis. Um, and so as the kids got older and as we got closer, you know, those conversations happened naturally. I remember... You know, about six months in, I remember Angela had been really sick and in the hospital for several days. And, um, you know, Gianna said to me, you know, Daddy, is Mommy going to die? And, and so that began that, you know, and, I, and I, the thing I had been taught, like, you know, I, I had asked several, you know, of course, different people that were counselors or social work, they would give you advice on how to handle this. And then the advice was to let the kids lead the conversation. So as they asked questions, you answer honestly, but with, with, you know, prudence, obviously. And so I just said, well, Gianna, we don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to die one day, but mommy is really sick and, and she could die from this. But right now we don't think she's going to die right now. And we think we can, we're going to keep treating her and hoping the medicine will help her and also praying for a miracle, you know, and you just have to slowly have those conversations. And what I've learned with my children and is that over time, you know, you, you answer the question at the most basic level and then they'll, they'll keep asking until they're done they're not ready to hear the next part, you know, and that's kind of what happened throughout the journey. Um, and so, the, you know, that became a normal part of our lives to, to be a conversation. But what's interesting for me, Debbie, was that it actually taught me an important lesson, which I hope I still practice today with my children, but is that, you know, we can't shield our children from suffering, that, that it's, it's actually doing them a disservice to not let them know that suffering is possible and that bad things do happen in life. Um, and that, but those bad things, even those bad things can be graces of God that they can turn good, you know, um, and that, that we can, we can get grace from those bad things or we can offer them up, right? It, it actually taught me that I cannot shield my kids from the bad. Um, and that's an important thing. I think that we, we forget about because we live in this American side society where we're constantly trying to shield <laughs> ourselves and our children from bad things, Right. And uh, it's an important lesson, I think, that I learned in that. But the kids really absorbed and handled things so very well. Uh, and I will tell you, people always want to know, 
they're both teenagers now. John is 16. Um, Augie, we call him, is going to be 14 in, in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. They're incredible, incredible children that God has absolutely had his hand on their lives um, and protected them and, and guided them, and there's been so much grace uh, in their lives. Well, I have to tell you, Chris, since I know your your family, uh, you don't have to convince me on on your um, your daughter and your son, your first daughter, your son, uh, because I think they're amazing. But then you you now have five children uh, to get all together, and all of your kids are amazing. I, when I see you at church, I love watching your family with your uh, beautiful wife Jennifer. You have the most uh, just the sweetest kids, and they all have a very unique personality. It is so fun to watch, Chris, because I've known you for so many years. So you're very blessed. I mean, you are blessed uh, with the two that you had with Angela, and then uh, the three with uh, Jennifer. I mean, your family is just incredible. I think you know that, though, because you have one of those, it's kind of like the Brady Bunch type families, you know, you just watch them and you think these kids are really cool. I always tell people, you know, they all got all the grace and beauty of their moms and all the vices of their dad. So (laughs) it's, uh, it's, they all, you know, it's very, we're all very, you know, very uh, hardcore and we like to, you know, get our way and all those things. But, but it's been such a gift and they've been, they've been such grace. And I will say too, you know, Debbie, you're talking about uh, moments that give you chills. I met a man last week and I was, he was asking me about my, my now wife, Jennifer, or, you know, about my situation. And I, he said, right away, he stopped. He said, wait a minute. I feel like the Holy Spirit just told me something. He said, your first wife is the one who sent you your second wife. Did they know each other? I said, well, no, they actually didn't. I told them. But my mom, several friends of ours all felt like Angela is the one who prayed for Jen to be the kid's new mom and my wife. And God has, his grace has been through this marriage all throughout. It's been such a gift. Right. Oh, I, I, I would totally affirm that as well. That's pretty amazing. Um, so, okay, so let's go, let's go to the, the part, the most difficult part of the last couple days. Can you share without... Um, you know, I don't want this to be too hard on you in any way, shape, or form, but whatever you can share with our listeners, you know, some of the takeaways, some of the things you learned, some of the things you experienced in those final precious moments with Angela. Yeah, I mean, you know, Angela was, um, but by by summer of 20, uh, 2012, uh, that July, she started to really experience what is typical of cancer patients, um, where they start to have reasons why they have to stop treatment and different infections or, or fluid leaking, all these different things happening, um, fluid buildup, sorry. And, you know, we kind of started to see that it was coming to the end. In fact, Angela started to have night terror kind of dream episodes where she was realizing she was, you know, essentially almost seeing her death in a way and going through these, these periods, which are common if you read about hospice and palliative care. These are common parts of the journey. And so I sort of knew um, before this happened, in fact, she had one dream where she essentially, her dad came to see her, but he was too late. And so the next day I said, do you want me to call your dad? She said, yes. I called her dad and I said, you need to get on a plane. And her dad came, you know, a few days later and he was able to be here for the last three weeks of her life, but she saw it coming. Uh, in the end, you know, she was, her biggest fear was giving up. Um, when we decided to go home for hospice care, she didn't want to go home because she felt like she'd be giving up. And then going home to die. And I said, well, let's go home to live. Let's go home and live the best life you can for as long as you can. And they've said some people bounce back. You never know, you know, and so we did that. And, and she was grateful for that and, and had that time. 
she was very concerned that she wasn't holy enough, and she asked God to make her holy. And I really think God extended her life a few weeks for that purpose. She went through great suffering those last few weeks. But that suffering, Debbie, became um, such a gift because thousands and thousands and thousands of people were praying for Angela for a healing, miraculous healing in those last few weeks. And what was happening is they were experiencing healings in their lives, miraculous healings. I mean, beautiful, miraculous, I believe miraculous, certainly not necessarily defined by the church, but I believe miraculous healings were happening in people's lives by praying for Angela. And when I would talk to her and say, man, all these people are praying for you, they're sending notes, I would read them to her, and she would say, I have a lot of people to pray for when I get to heaven. And she knew these people were praying for her. She wasn't surprised by some of the words that they would share about the miracles that were happening. She nodded as if she knew, you know. And in the end, she went through a very difficult couple of days of, of I think, great suffering. I, I felt like my good friend, Father John Parks, was there at his bedside, and I said, I feel like this is some sort of last battle, and he said, it is. It's a battle for her soul, and we just need to pray. And so we sat there, and we prayed and prayed, and, and that last night, she, her breathing finally changed, and I sat up from 3 a.m. until the morning, but she didn't pass. And when the kids woke on September 21st, 2012, the kids woke up. They wanted to go down and eat. I said, let's they could say, give mommy a kiss, because I don't know if she's going to be here much longer. And Gianna kissed her on the forehead. And as soon as she did, Angela breathed her last breath. And I knew, I knew, I knew that she waited for them. But I also knew that that battle was over, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just such an amazing thing to watch, to witness the suffering, but also to witness these tremendous moments of joy in it. Times where you could tell she could see heaven, she could see angels or saints or something, um, God was really working. I mean, it, it, our house became a holy ground. It, was un, it, was, it truly was, to me, still some of the most beautiful spiritual experience I've ever had. Wow. The veil was so thin, um, the way you describe it. Um, this is why, Chris, you need a co-host at this time, because I'm so emotional right now. I'm trying to, to gather my thoughts and, and, you know, continue the, the conversation. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm very visual, so I can just picture Gianna kissing her mom and, um, and then Angela um, letting go at that point of, of this world, right? And, and moving on to the next. Um, any anything after her passing did you notice um or did you feel or did the kids feel i know your son was was too little but how about gianna or yourself or anyone else that was um there at her bedside did anyone else experience anything yeah i mean definitely even before she passed again those last few days everyone who came to the house would leave saying you know i thought i came to to pray for her but she ministered to me you know and those things and and my our kids too. I mean, you know, there were there was this this genuine innocence in them that you know, Gianna. I remember saying, "I'm not going to be sad that my mom died because she's supposed to go to heaven." You know, mm-hmm. and I remember Augie that first night. There was a hospice bed in our master bedroom that Angel had been in. You know, uh, most of the time at the end, and um, the bed had been taken away. And Augie, we went to go to bed, and they were going to sleep with me that night. And I went in there and in the room, and he was sitting in that spot where the bed was. Aww. And I said, you, what's going to, I want to pray here. And I said, why? He said, because this is, I want to be here. And I said, okay. So we prayed, and I said, is this because this is where Mommy was? He says, yeah, I just want to, I want to be with Mommy. <laughs> you know, and he knew there was mm-hmm. something special there. But yeah. 
you know, yeah. the reality was that we saw, I didn't have any true experiences of Angela, you know, necessarily any condolence, you know, con- consolation, but we had other people. I remember just a few days later getting an email from a friend saying, hey, somebody asked me to send this to you. It was a woman I didn't even know here in, in Scottsdale who knew the story because of our friend and was following and said, please send this to Chris. I think this is for him. And she had this experience in adoration where she heard a woman's voice say, tell him it's all joy. Tell him it's all joy. And she couldn't, she couldn't, she wasn't sure who it was for. She was praying and praying. And then she watched a video of Angela that someone had shared and she heard her voice and she knew it was her. Um, And that was actually the day, I believe it was actually the day of the funeral that I got that message. And we had many, many messages like that of Mm -hmm. other people experiencing that. And, and then just there were so many graces at the funeral of just incredible, incredible moments where you just knew the Lord was, was there, the Holy Spirit was there, and, and maybe, in fact, Angela was there. You know, that, that um, I truly feel like, you know, a priest friend who was her confessor said, I, I truly believe she, she served her purgatory on earth, and, you know, maybe she's in heaven. And, of course, I still pray for her soul, um, but we believe that maybe God took her already, right? And, and at that moment, there was just so much grace even in her burial, in the way that the flowers dropped on the, uh, the you know, on the um, casket, and there were people who had dreams of Angelus getting a shower of roses from Therese that reminded them of that. And, you know, there were so many of those graces that happened. Um, mm-hmm. And then, again, more healings that came just in the days, and miracles just in the days after she died. Hmm. So you decided to write the book, It Is Well, Life in the Storm, and, and folks, you can find this wonderful book and, and Chris's journey with Angela um, at EWTNRC.com. It's right there. It's available. I would highly recommend it. Um, you decided to write the book to put this all in the book, the details of this, this conversation that we're having. having. And by the way, Chris, we're probably going to have to have you back for a part two, because as you were sharing um, some of the details of, of, of your story, I have a million more questions and not enough time. Um, it is, is so typical of, of the show. It goes very fast. So if you can come back for a part two, that would be great. But I'll try to squeeze in some more um, questions right now for our listeners, because I know they're probably going to send us emails saying, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask that? So you're going to have to get the book, folks. It is well, life in the storm. Um, but but Chris, um, let me just uh, hit the pause button right there and share with our listeners uh, just another um, wonderful program that we, we really think uh, folks should tune in and uh, check out. And then when we come, uh, when I come back to you, Chris, please, we're going to have to make this kind of awkward uh, um, transition to Solidarity Health Share. And what I mean by awkward is I, I don't like to take away anything about Angela's journey. And I think there's so much more we need to talk about. But I do want to get into how you really this this gave birth to, I believe, a, a beautiful nationwide ministry. So we want to talk about that so so other folks can understand it better and maybe um, participate in Solidarity Health Share. So let me just share with our listeners first. We just want to highlight uh, the programs just for you. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa, Wednesday night, 8 Eastern Time on EWTN Radio and TV. Father Mitch interviews a variety of guests. And tomorrow, Father Mitch welcomes Monica Jablonska. And she's talking about spreading the legacy of peace started by John Paul II. Wow, that's going to be a great episode of EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa.
Okay. So I don't want to take anything away from Angela's journey, but tell us, I mean, I believe it really gave birth to this nationwide ministry. Wouldn't you say, Chris? I mean, I'm, I've been a part of um, Solidarity HealthShare for many years. I think what you're doing is phenomenal and it's really a testament to your faith and really what you've been through. Yeah, you know, the, the, the Solidarity HealthShare thing really came out of nowhere for us in a way. I mean, this wasn't something I planned on, you know, but there was, there were two things really that led to this. One was, um, that, you know, we, part of Angela's journey includes, and when I talk about it in the book, having to raise a significant amount of money for her care to get her some advanced and alternative treatments that, that we needed in order to keep her alive because the traditional route wasn't working. And um, that, that was part of it. I had this sense that, wow, how do we help other people in this way? And then the, the other piece, of course, is that the Affordable Care Act mandates came out in 2012 and we as Catholics, many of us, I was one of many of you who was having those conversations. What are we going to do? We, we, you know, and the bishops were saying we're not going to comply, but what's the solution? And it was a Pentecost Sunday novena that led myself and one of my co-founders, Dr. John Ertley, to both come back to the table and say, we've got to talk about this, this solution, and what is it? Could it be health sharing? Could it be something else? And really, that's what, what, where this began, was this idea that, hey, we can, we can serve people in the way that the community served us by people, you know, helping each other with their medical bills and getting each other the care they need, praying for each other and, and have a much better experience than insurance in that sense. But also that that we can also solve this big ethical moral dilemma that we were in. And what it's really become is a ministry where, I mean, we've now had over 46,000 members, Debbie, um, that we've been able to, to serve and who share each other's medical expenses. But in addition to that, while we're doing this very practical thing of healthcare sharing and helping people get medical care and make sure their bills are shared by other members and all of those things, we're also doing a very, uh, very important thing, which is the work of mercy of praying for them, serving them, making sure they have support from their parish if they're going through a medical crisis, making sure they have grief support if they've lost somebody, if they've had a miscarriage or a stillbirth, doing all of these things that are, that are ultimately at the very center of our faith and, and, and Catholic social teaching and, and understanding of how we should treat each other. And it's been such a gift. I mean, I mentioned to you off air that we have a chapel just 30 feet from my office where we, we're having, where adoration is happening right now. And every day there are staff members who are in there praying by name for our members who are, who are in need. Uh, and it is just a beautiful gift and, and witness, I think, to what I learned from Angela, but also what God brought us through, that the church together, we can support each other, pray for each other, uh, you know, help each other temporally. Uh, and ultimately help lead each other to to heaven uh, in a very practical way. Well, you don't have to convince me on that, uh, Chris, be, uh, again, because I, I will tell you, I've, I've been very impressed with Solidarity HealthShare. And I, I will tell you, I agree with you. Um, your folks that are part of the ministry, um, they care. It's very obvious they care because I've had conversations with them and they, they, they really know me and they know what I'm going through and they're praying for me. And I love uh, going back and forth like that, where somebody really can um, understand in a, in a, in a faith-based way. You know, they say you only know a person as much as they know God. And so it's so interesting when you work with the fine folks at Solidarity HealthShare, it is a ministry. It's incredible. Chris, how can, how can folks participate if they wanted to sign up or join, join the group? Yeah, definitely just visit us at SolidarityHealthShare.org um, or call us at 844 313 4999. We've got a great group of, of people who are also wonderful, faithful Catholics like you that 
that want to help you see if this is the right decision for you. Mm-hmm. But at the website, you'll also get all the information about how it works and what's shareable and um, what's not shareable and, and, and get some of the stories of some of our members. There's lots, lots of great testimonials that, that will help you see why it's such a wonderful program. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys do a great job, all of you. Uh, fabulous. Okay, so my takeaways from this um, uh, conversation and your your journey uh, with Angela. Well, first of all, Chris, I don't, th- I don't know if I ever told you this. I love the fact that her name is Angela, okay? Because you know that I'm, I have a, a strong devotion to the angels. So you would know that, that, that immediately she won my heart just with her name, Angela. So that's number one. Number two, when you said that she viewed um, the diagnosis and then the, the seriousness of the situation and how terminal it was, um, she viewed it as an opportunity, um, for the graces and for what she can um, experience and to be transformed um, for, you know, holiness, you know, that, that, that final period of time, which is very intense, very extreme uh, of, a, of a, a, an amazing, and I love how you said it, opportunity, how she said it. So that is incredible. And I wish, and I pray that folks, that's their takeaway as well, is this this idea that when we're faced with these very hard things that come at us from, you know, uh, different medical professionals that tell us, oh, you've got this and you only have this, this long to live, we don't automatically go to that place of turning away from God or getting really angry or anything. And I know we have to go through the stages, but we view it the way Angela did, that it's an opportunity for an abundance of grace. Chris, I, I cannot thank you enough. This was golden. Um, let me, in the final couple minutes we have with this, in this wonderful um, conversation and pre-recorded broadcast of Take Two, uh, share with us what you would want our Take Two family to know um, or their takeaway or what you want them to be inspired about or, or whatever you feel, you know, just come from the spirit. But I, I really and truly believe uh, that the good Lord is letting Angela hear this conversation. I think she's speaking, um, hopefully through my words, but also through the witness of her story uh, every day, which is such a gift. And, and I would say, you know, the biggest thing I can, I can say is, you know, for one, you just said, Debbie, you know, you've got to see it as an opportunity for grace, but do not leave the sacraments because it's the sacraments that force you to look up and see the grace, right? And so that's an important part of the puzzle that, that meant everything for Angela and I during this time. But also, um, you know, when, before she died, she said something when, when her doctor said, look, you're, you're coming to the end. You're in your last few days. I remember my mom went to see her and she said, how are you feeling about that? She said, well, my doctor said that I'm, I'm almost done. And she said, my mom said, oh, how are you? And she said, I'm okay with it, but I want the world to know I just want the world to know that no matter what, they must trust in Jesus. And so I'll leave you with those words. No matter what, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're dealing with, remember Angela's words. No matter what, you must trust in Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Chris, so very much for making time. You're, you're a very busy guy running a, a nationwide organization with Solidarity Health Share. Folks, you got to check it out, please. Also, pick up Chris's um, life story with Angela. It is well, life in the storm. Um, Amazing. Chris, thank you so much. We will have to continue this. I have I, now I have another million questions to ask you. Um, but it's a good thing that uh, Ace McKay, our wonderful producer, has your cell phone number. So maybe we could schedule, schedule you for a part two. Okay. Would love it. God bless you, Debbie. God bless your listeners.
Thank you, Chris. Uh, great conversation we had today with Chris Faddis. Um, this is a pre-recorded broadcast of Take Two. Now, folks, please share this episode far and wide on social media. That's a good use of social media. Please share it. Very, very important. That's the reason why we do these wonderful um, new content episodes for you so that you can learn and grow and then and then share it, okay? Send it to a friend. Um, you know, obviously, listen to it first, make sure it's appropriate because if somebody is going through a serious illness, you know, you might not wait for that perfect time to send it. Um, but please do share it on social media. Also, um, don't forget to like us on Facebook, Jerry and Debbie Facebook page. We're constantly updating now about Jerry's uh, journey back into uh, seminary for priestly ordination. We love uh, that this journey that we get to be on with Jerry into the seminary. And um, hopefully uh, one day we get to all visit him um, when he's a priest in Florida. So wouldn't that be, isn't that going to be wonderful? So that's at Jerry and Debbie Facebook page. We'll give you updates. Also, you can email Jerry at seminaryjerry at gmail.com. If you want to send a, a personal note to him, seminaryjerry at gmail.com. Okay. And then the last bit of housekeeping, please. Um, if, if you found some interesting things about this conversation that we had um, with Chris Faddis and about what it means to really uh, um, embrace all of, of life situations and you get the health diagnosis, you're not sure how to live your best life, please visit us at standtalltoday.com, standtalltoday.com. We have um, just a wonderful panel of life coaches that can help you um, navigate this, this thing called life. Okay, so that'll do it. You hear the beautiful beautiful music. Um, we love the Take Two family. Again, thanks to Ace McKay for setting up this incredible recorded broadcast. Um, and we want to say to our Take Two family, have a beautiful and blessed day. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>